0: We're going to be in luke chapter one and two today so let's pray lord we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for this time of year when we can focus on your first coming and as we look at the, some of the passages today we just pray that you give us new insight and new thoughts and especially lord help us to find some things that you want us to learn and to apply personally we ask this in your name amen please be seated they were kind of taking just a little different look at the Christmas story. We were looking just at how the angels impacted different aspects of that. So, just saying that's kind of where we're headed. Um, I had a friend of mine in Detroit who um, I met him uh, because he was a contractor and he was doing some things and, and I started just to talk with him. And He said, Well, I'm an agnostic. I said, eh, I'm a pastor. So, uh, we talked for a little bit and finally, finally, he just started talking more and more about how he liked to learn some things. And so I said, Well listen, I'd be happy to have a Bible study with you. And so we started doing some studying and and we tended more towards the apologetic side of things, dealing with the hard questions. And 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 he, he loved that part of it. He wanted to know how is it that we can know that uh, God is all powerful? How is it that we can know that that evil isn't going to take over? There's all kinds of things that he had that he'd kind of been looking at. And and every now and then he would say to me, You know what? If I could just see the miracles that God did in the Old Testament if I could see them part the Red Sea if I could see them all the the locusts if I could see all of that I would be able to believe a whole lot more quickly and I said listen let me tell you about that generation from Israel that saw all of the plagues and crossed underneath or crossed the Red Sea and saw all these amazing miracles I said none of them entered the promised land because they didn't have faith they saw it they just didn 't believe God would do what he promised, and as we talked and as we went further, I, I began to talk to him, it isn't seeing isn't believing, and that was his whole thing. i've got to see it to believe it. Let's go there you go, thanks Sarah. I didn't give you that cue. sorry. Um, but seeing is believing is what a lot of people live by, but is that true? Is it really true that if we see it and we believe it, we 're a whole lot better off? And my answer to that would be, no, I don't think so. Matter of fact, the scripture shows many times that that it's a little bit different than that. So we're going to jump right into verse five of chapter one of Luke. This is in the time of Herod the king, and you've got a priest named Zachariah. And, and one of the things we need to remember is that this time in Israel's history, there was over twenty thousand priests in the country. Now they were scattered all over in little towns and villages, and they had their own farmstead. But because there was twenty thousand, they were divided into groups of about a thousand each, who would each serve at the temple. Twice a year for one week at a time. Okay? So Zechariah would go to the temple to serve for one week. He'd go home. And then later in the year, he would go for another week. Alright? So that's that's the situation going on in Israel. And it was his week to be there. <clears throat> and uh, it tells us in verse 6 that he was he and his wife were upright in the sight of God, observed the commandments of the Lord and the regulations blamelessly. Verse 7 is kind of important. But they had no children... Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. And so one of the things that you, you, you come, come away with this is that here they are, they've, they've been faithful to God, they're living godly lives, they're upright in everything that they do, and yet after all of that they are still childless. And please understand, in that time frame and in that culture, to be childless was not seen as anything other than than God doing something to stop them. They really, really believed that God had caused something to happen or they had done something that made God um, stop that whole process for them. Now you can imagine they must have prayed and prayed and yet God still said no. Uh, this was a a social disgrace in a lot of ways. And yet one of the cool things you see is that with with, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they didn't take all of those years of disappointment in the prayers not being answered and turn into bitterness. Instead, what happened to them? It says in verse 5, Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the commandments and regulations blamelessly. So that's who they became. Even though all of this Stigma, and all the questions and all the kind of snide things that people would say about not having any kids, or not being able to have kids, or being under God's judgment. All those things they had to face. And yet they continued to serve and to follow God. And so that's one of the things that caught my attention. just kind of going into the application here. Facing that kind of criticism, uh, if you've ever been around... People who are unkind and someone who doesn't have a child or someone who isn't married, you understand that the kinds of comments that are made many times can hurt the person. And so I've been around and seen that happen. Um, but God is interesting. God said, verse 6, they were upright. They weren't suffering judgment from God. It wasn't, they didn't have children. They weren't being kept from having children because of, um, they had been uh, disobedient in some way. And so, you know, it was something that God had caused to have happen in them, even though they were living godly lives, even though they were doing all the things that God had told them to do. Now, I can imagine <clears throat> uh, living a godly life does not mean that you will not have pain or suffering and I think it's one thing sometimes we forget sometimes we think okay if I if I walk with the Lord and I'm obedient and I do all the things that He calls me to do well then I'm all set I'm just going to be able to cruise through life no difficulties and, and God's going to bless my finances and He's going to bless my family and, and He's going to bless and, and, we, and we just don't see any kind of bumps in the road coming at all and I think one of the things that happens when we see Zechariah and Elizabeth is these are people who did that they lived godly lives and yet, in their case, they hadn't received what God, what they really wanted to, from God. God had said no. Um, it's interesting because even <clears throat> in our own hearts and lives, we may see those difficulties sometimes, and there may be struggles because of the world that we live in. One of the things I love about what Jesus said was, "Hey, you know what? In this world, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have trouble." Um, John 16:33, But, never forget I've overcome the world I have overcome the world Now Jesus never said There are people out there who say this People out there who teach this But Jesus never said that following him was a guarantee There would be no issues or difficulties in your life Just follow him and you won't have marriage problems Follow him and you'll have kids that are obedient And who will follow the Lord that's just not there. What the Lord says is, follow me. Follow me. Walk with me. And as I'm, you're walking, and as we're going through the difficulties and the struggles that you will face, I will be there to guide and lead and walk with you. That's one of the critical things that we forget is that we may be going through hard things, but it's never alone. We're never alone when we go through those things. matter of fact, James puts the difficulties that we see in a different light. He says in James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And you read that and you go, what are you, nuts, James? What's crazy? That's crazy. And yet you realize that he's giving you something the Holy Spirit wants us to know. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance so the hard things we go through the the difficulties that we face the hardships that are piled upon us are not there to make us break stumble or sin they're there to cause us to look to the lord and to be strengthened and encouraged as we continue to move in the direction he's calling us to it's the testing of our faith that develops the ability to keep on going the ability to hang in there I mean, there's absolutely no way that Elizabeth and and, and Zachariah could have continued to live godly lives if they hadn't gotten to the point where they said, Lord God, no matter what, we will follow you. Yes, we want this. But if you say no, we will keep on following. And they're a great example of that, a wonderful example. Um, And so I just kind of, as I was thinking through the tests and trials that that I've been through, uh, and maybe you've thought of that too in the last little bit. This last year and a half, two years have been hard on a lot of people. Um, and 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 our culture would say that it's insanity to 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 follow a God who doesn't just take it all away. See, we want this God who's going to just say, "Absolutely, I love you. No more problems. I got it." That's just not the way it works. We have the problems and difficulties. He does have them, but not in the sense of just totally removing them all the time, but in the sense of giving us the grace and the ability with His help to make it through. And that's the part that sometimes we struggle with. And I don't know what you're struggling with today, what kind of things you're facing. Um, the road to maturity, James says, comes through testing of our faith, that's what he said at the end of the verse, perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe, maybe it's a difficult job issue. Um, jobs are really weird these days. Sometimes they're asking more and paying less and, and, uh, demanding more and more time, more this, more that. I think like, like Zechariah, when we're facing those kinds of things financially or in our job, I think Zachariah and Elizabeth would say to us, hey, it's going to be okay. Hang in there. Keep trusting God. Keep looking. Keep looking to Him. Don't give up. Don't quit. Um, don't say, God, if you don't do this, I'm, I'm done with you. It's just keep going. Maybe, it, maybe you're facing st- the whole prospect of being single. Uh, maybe you're widowed or widow. you're a widower and you've prayed and trusted God and yet he hasn't brought someone into your life. I've had the opportunity to watch many people down through the years who have faced that issue whether being widowed or becoming a widower uh, or just being single because God hasn't uh, opened up that door for them yet. And that's a hard thing to face. It's a struggle and then sometimes people make those unkind statements and comments. And I think one of the things we need to remember as we face those difficulties is that it doesn't matter what the difficulty is. The Lord God knows, and He can be trusted. and no matter how deeply hurt or lost or unfulfilled we may feel, we can take that straight to Him, say, "Lord, here it is. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm feeling. And Lord, I don't want to turn away from you. I don't want to become cold or calloused. Help me. Whatever you have for me, help me to live it out and trust your grace in this situation. Maybe it's health issues that you're going through, maybe it's gradual deterioration of your skills, maybe it's just hoping for the treatment or the medicine that you're on to work. <clears throat> this past week, I saw another specialist. <laughs> Uh, If I could show you my calendar for the last two months, I told Carol, sometimes my week has so much red, I put them in red ink so that I can remember them, I don't even know what a normal day is. And I saw someone and I got through with the whole thing and I thought, well, maybe that's going to be helpful. Um, This whole year has given me a new insight into what it's like to face something that is kind of difficult to treat and difficult to even comprehend difficult to diagnose it's been one of those years and maybe that's been something for you that you've gone through and it's just hard or maybe what you do have is something that's really hard to deal with and I think once again we, we go back to that same thought at least I have to Lord God I, I don't understand this this is not my first choice but I know that you are good I know that you're good because I remember the cross. And at this time of the year, when I remember Christmas, and the purpose of Christmas was Jesus coming so that he could grow up and live and be the first and last sacrifice of atonement. So Zachary and Elizabeth poured their hearts out asking God for a baby. God said no. Rather than becoming bitter, what did they do? They continued to serve and to worship God as they were supposed to. Now, actually, we're going to be talking about the angels a little bit more, but uh, I think that context helps us as we now talk about what happens with Zechariah. We're going to verse 8 of chapter 1 of Luke. Um, once when Zechariah divisioned on duty, um, he was serving as a priest before God, and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn some incense. Go ahead and put that first picture up there, Sarah, please. So here he is serving at the at the temple, and um, one of the things that happened is that it was it was one of those unique and special privileges to be able to go into the inside of the temple and offer incense. <clears throat> that was answered. So you were only allowed to do that once in your lifetime. And so they did it by lot there's a thousand guys, you know, and in a week there's what fourteen times that they can go in morning and evening to to light the incense, and so you can imagine a thousand guys waiting for their turn to come, and it just so happened that God caused it to come to fall the lot to fall to <clears throat> Zechariah. Go ahead and put the next one up there, and so it was zachariah 's job to take incense into the temple and there was a little incense altar before the curtain where the Holy of Holies was and they burned incense there twice a day and the incense was a reminder of the prayers of God's people being lifted up and as I understand what he would do is he would go in he would light the the incense altar and he would lay face down in front of it and pray for the nation of Israel pray for the coming of the Messiah and just pray so while he's on the ground praying, okay, doing what he's supposed to be doing there, um, <clears throat> verse eleven says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So, facing outward, the altar he was uh, standing on the right hand side of the altar, the left hand side of where um, left hand side of, Eli- of Zacharias. And that's a place of, of power and and that's a place of, of being able to speak into something. And so here he is, he wake, he jumps up and he looks up and there's the angel standing in that place of power and position of uh, where he's going to speak something at that point. So then the angel, verse 11, appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear or terrified and full of fear which by the way is the normal response as you read through the scriptures to anybody coming face to face with an angel the overwhelming majority respond first with fear that should tell you what angels really are like they're powerful beings that God has sent now they're not evil they're God sent angels but they're not the little cupids or little angels you see with bows and arrows that has nothing to do with this so the angels standing there And he says, first words, do not be afraid. Verse 13, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Now this is incredible news. Remember, this is a prayer they prayed anywhere between 30 and 40 years. When they first realized, hey, nothing's happening. So, okay, God, we're asking you. Angel goes on to tell him a little bit about the son John he's going to have. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring back will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go before go on before the Lord and this is a critical phrase in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's a prophecy fulfilled. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness. And to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. And so just kind of to run through what the angel said. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. And he's going to be a joy and a delight. Let's so go ahead and put the list up there, sorry sir, I didn't give you a warning there we go, joy and a delight he's going to be great in God's sight never to have any kind of wine or alcohol of any kind he's going to be filled from the, with the Holy Spirit from birth, some people think, say it the way the wording is there it's even before it, could be, even be before then he says he's going to turn Israel back to God he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah cross reference for that is Malachi 4, six. And he's coming to prepare the people for the Lord. That's going to be his job. That's who he is and why he's coming. Now, as a priest, Zacharias understood that, you know, the last thing that was said by any prophet was Malachi. That Elijah would come back and turn the people's hearts to God. And the angel had just said, the son whom you have is going to be that Elijah but Zacharias knew the Old Testament knew all of those kinds of things and yet look at verse 18 Zacharias asked the angel how can I be sure I'm an old man and putting it kindly and nicely and my wife is well along in years in other words beyond the age of childbearing now understand what's happening here he's just been told an amazing, amazing thing by an angel and his first statement is, hey, how can I be sure of this? And um, the angel takes him up on that, verse 19. is really, for Zechariah, he's seeing, but he's not believing. He's seeing this angel, but he's not believing what the angel says. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And, and at that point, you got to understand, maybe Zechariah was backing up a little bit and saying, oh, yeah. Gabriel makes it very clear. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent by God to you to tell you this amazing, wonderful, great news. That's why I'm here, because God sent me to you. And now, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Isn't that incredible? So here he is, face to face with an angel. He will not believe what the angel tells him, at least not initially. Eventually he does, obviously. But he doesn't believe him, and so the angel says, this is who I am. By the way, there's only two angels in all of the scripture that are even named. It's Gabriel and Michael. And Gabriel is mentioned a couple times in the early times with with the birth of Christ, and in the book of Daniel, where he's talking about the coming of the Messiah to Daniel. So this is, this is the angel that came to talk to him. Um, <clears throat> so it's one of those incredible and powerful things. And um, he goes home. Verses 21 and 24 kind of cover that. He returns home. He's, everything he does, he has to do with sign language or writing it down because he can no longer speak. And Elizabeth's response when she finally, it says in verse 24, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. She wanted to make sure this was really going to happen, so she didn't share. For five months she remained in seclusion, then the word got out, and eventually Mary comes to help her. Elizabeth's response when the baby is born is, The Lord has done this for me. In these days He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace. You see how heavy that whole shame and disgrace was in the culture. Um, and yet here she is saying God has so good to us what an amazing thing he has done to me now it's interesting because the Lord had said no who knows how many times they prayed oh God we would so much love to have a child Uh, I I personally know people who have prayed that for years and and in our culture and our time we have all kinds of other things that can be done that could never be done back then Uh, and in this culture even the whole idea of of, um, adoption but they didn't have that. Uh, how many years did they pray? 30, 40 maybe? At some point they had to have gotten to the place where they said, you know what? It's too late. This isn't going to happen for us. And so it was no longer something that they prayed for on a daily basis. You can imagine the, the kind of disappointment that that would bring. Um, and then now, boom, a miraculous child. And John, their son, would be the first prophet since Malachi. The very first one who was going to be able to tell the people of God what God wanted them to know. That was his purpose. His purpose was to prepare the way of the Messiah and then get out of the way. That was his job. Prepare everybody. Get everybody ready. And then get out of the way. Now, just so that we understand who John really is in the scheme of things, Matthew 11, nine, verse 9, Jesus is answering the question that people have asked about John. He says, what did you see when you went out to see him? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So that's, again, a quote from the Old Testament Um, prophecies so he says John is the answer to that prophecy then he goes on I tell you the truth among those born of women there was not there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist wow that's incredible what a statement of who he is then he says for all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it he is the Elijah who was to come That's how we know John the Baptist was Elijah that was expected to come. And so at just the right time to fulfill the prophecies, God answers the prayer of this elderly couple. And John comes, points the way to Jesus. Remember, there he is, behold, the Lamb of God. And then he's gone because he's fulfilled his task. Now, six months later, we're going to jump forward. Um, We're going to talk about Gabriel again. Verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And so here we've got Remember, there's been nothing from God for 400 years. And now, in a very short amount of time, we've got the angel appearing to Zechariah. And now the angel appearing to Mary. And there's going to be more and more things happening. And, you know, Mary, in verse 29, is greatly troubled. He says, how can I be highly favored? And, And she wondered what was going on. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will... You you will be with child and give, this, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, title for God himself. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Again, there's the messianic part coming through loud and clear. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so there you go. You have this incredible prophecy being given. <clears throat> now remember, <clears throat> Zachariah saw an angel, and the angel told him some things, and he said, well, you know, I, I need a sign here. You need to show me that this, something so that I can believe that this can going to be true. Mary is given a prophecy that I think is even harder in some ways to accept. And her answer is, um, how will this be? Verse 34 since I'm a virgin she's not saying give me some kind of proof that this is true what she's saying is okay I accept what you're saying now explain to me how it's going to happen I'm a virgin see she she could have said listen I'm a farm girl I know how these things work I'm I'm pledged to be married but I'm not married so how am I going to have a child And, and that was an honest question that she asked she had every right to ask that question this was not someone saying I don't believe you this is someone saying how is it going to work Tell me how this is going to work. And the angel answered, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he says, Even Elizabeth, speaking of, of her cousin, uh, <clears throat> going to have a child in her old age, she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Now, Mary didn't ask for signs; sign. She just said, How's it going to work? But the angel says, okay, this house is how it's going to work. Now let me also tell you something else. Why don't you go visit your cousin Elizabeth? Because she's having a miracle baby too. And he goes on to say, nothing is impossible with God. I love that. He's come to Mary. Mary believes it, accepts it. And then she, of course, goes and spends time with uh, with Elizabeth after that. This is the thing I love about this whole section in Luke verse 38 Mary responds I am the Lord's servant may it be to me as you've said here I am whatever you've decided to do God do it I'm your servant help help. whatever it is that needs to happen to happen in other words she's saying I submit totally and completely to something I have no idea how this is all going to work out but I'm submitting to that and to you here I am, Lord, do whatever you want. It reminds you a little bit of what Isaiah said. Here I am, send me. It's the same kind of thought that, that's being implied here. What an amazing response when you see that from Mary. And um, you see that really, for her, believing was seeing. Let's go ahead and put that up there. Thanks, Sarah. Believing was seeing because she believed, and as a result was received the answers and was told things that were going to happen because she believed God opened her eyes to fuller understanding of what was coming because she believed he sent her to be with Elizabeth to be part of that miraculous birth, and all that happened when when they met up there um, in response to mary 's belief, Gabriel reminded her, nothing is impossible with God, absolutely nothing believing. Is seeing, and he said, "You see now because you believe." The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 11:1. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for; um, what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. So, faith is the confidence that we, what we hope for, will actually happen. And so, Mary believed Gabriel's words that she would be the mother of the Christ, and she humbly submitted to that. Hebrews 11, 6 says this, and I think it's one of those things we need to constantly be remembering. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Remember the Apostle Thomas? (laughs) He had a problem. Jesus rose from the dead and he hadn't seen Him yet. And so he said, I'm not going to believe, not until I see. For Thomas, seeing was believing. Now it's interesting because... John writes, and he says this in John 20, You believe because you have seen me, Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's you and me. That's everybody after that first generation of apostles who saw him. Anyone who comes to Christ and says, "Ah, You know, I believe. You died for me. I believe. That's seeing. Even though you haven't, um, that's believing and therefore seeing is what that's all about peter puts it this way you love him even though you have not seen him and though you do not see him now you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy and i think that's the thing that struck me in this whole passage is the whole idea that um, you see the love of god that, that these people have you know Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, there's still this love and devotion to God, even though they've had this heartache. There's Mary, who's young, and she's going into something she has no idea how to, how to handle. And she says, okay, go ahead. And and there's a love and a devotion for God there, too. The last uh, angelic appearance is is another nine months down the road, so we're going to jump in there Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And this is a passage where the shepherds are out watching their sheep. And it says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Of course they were. And uh, it might have been Gabriel, we don't know. And it appears that there's one angel to start with and he gives them some information starting verse 10. the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then let me tell you how you're going to find him. You're going to find him in the in the palace or the fanciest house in town. No, 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 no. You're going to find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's where you're going to find the Messiah. And then, I love 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and singing. At the arrival of God's Son in human form, it appears there was one angel to, to... Give the notice. And then again, speculation on my part. But it sounds like what is happening is that all of the rest of the angels in all of the realms show up to sing in the choir. And they make it very, very clear. This is about the Messiah, the Christ, who has been born. And so then they say in verse 15, Hey, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see what's happened. And they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And then they there was a time of worship some other things happened in verse 20 the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told think about it the long awaited Messiah I mean the Israelite people were all supposed to be waiting for longing for the coming of the Messiah and it had been 400 years of nothing no prophet nobody speaking for God the, the, those that loved God and worshipped Him, who were faithful, it was they were just hanging on to the Scriptures and what they knew, trusting God. Now, one of the things we need to understand when we think about coming to the shepherds, when David was a shepherd and when others of that time frame were shepherds, even even a little bit further down the road, these were considered, on one level, honorable. I mean, they were honorable family kind of businesses. By the time we get to the time of Christ... Shepherds weren't really thought of too highly anymore. In fact, they were looked down on by many people. Uh, Part of it was that they were seemed to be perpetually unclean dealing with the kind of animals and stuff that they did. Um, Some people thought that they were all thieves. In other words, they would let their sheep graze in places that weren't theirs to be allowed. And so here you've got a a looked down on class and category of people in Israel and that's who God sends the angels to which I think is just incredible I love the fact that God says okay, you all don't think very highly of the shepherds? yeah, well let me show you and he sends an angel and then a company of angels to the shepherds um, and again, just think through not the palace, not the wealthy you home. Know, remember when the wise men came to find Jesus where would they go? to Jerusalem why? well where the king was born would be in the capital no this is Jesus and he was born in Bethlehem the king of all so we have two things here that just uh, kind of came to came to me as I was working through this this week uh, the fact that he came to the shepherds number one the things in this world the things this world values are twisted and distorted okay, the world puts value on an awful lot of stuff that don't matter to God at all and we need to be real careful where we place our values um God sent the Savior to be born in a way that was contrary to the values of that culture. Contrary to the values of our culture. He sent the Messiah to live a life that would differ greatly from the value system of the rich and the elite and the powerful people of Israel. The fact that the, Number two, the fact that the shepherds got the news first teaches us that Jesus came for all lost people regardless of class or status. Isn't that awesome? So he came for me, and he came for you. And it doesn't matter if we're important or not important. It doesn't matter if anybody knows our name. The Lord Jesus came for us, and he lived, and he died for us. Now, what do we take away from all of this? Again, we got Zacharias, very well-educated, very privileged, and yet he doubted in the beginning. You got Mary with very little education, and yet she knew enough about the scriptures to know the Messiah was coming and knew some other things, and, and she believed. And you've got the shepherds who are seeing these angels, and they believed as well. So just putting up this chart very quickly. Believing is seeing. Zacharias finally believed, and he acted on that belief. And nine months later, John was raised, uh, John was born, and they raised him. To be the prophet that God wanted him to be. Mary believed. And she submitted willingly to what God had in store for her. Knowing that down the road it could mean some shame and some accusations. And yet she said, here I am. Lord, use me. And the shepherds believed and they went out and they searched until they found uh, found the child and the family in the manger. Now... Just trying to ask ourselves the question, when it comes to the way that I live, when it comes to the way that you live, is believing seeing in our lives? Or are we always demanding something so that we can believe? My favorite prayer in scripture has been for a long time now. The the man who came and brought his demon-possessed boy to Jesus And he says, do something if you can. And then, this is the response in verse 23. Everything is possible to him who believes. That's what Jesus says. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He says, I I believe where I wouldn't have come, but man, I have doubts and fears and help my unbelief and so many times that's my prayer god i believe you can do this but i'm full of fear i'm full of of doubts i'm full of all these things please lord god overcome my unbelief because i do believe when we doubt we want to see more we can pray lord i believe help my unbelief let's pray Lord God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the power that there is in it. We thank you as we've looked at these little scenes this morning and seen how you have worked so incredibly in the lives and in nations and peoples. And Lord, just thank you. And as we leave this place, Lord, help us to start thinking through. Am I, am I believing because I'm seeing or am I believing so that I can see? And help us to sense that difference and help us to trust you in every way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and thank you for taking on human form and living the life that you did. In your name we pray. Amen.